What's going on, traders? How we doing out there in the market? I hope you guys are having a great day in the market as I am. I'm excited to get to our interviews today. We got two interviews, not only one interview. We're going to do a great jam-packed show for you, hit you up with some SPAC headlines to begin with. We're going to go into aspiration and, of course, Ken Insurance. Stay tuned. Matt Higgins will be joining us, and so will Sean Harper I'm excited to get towards Ken. Of course, you guys know I'm a big Dolphin fan, so got to support my man, Matt Higgins. I'm super excited to get the show started. Welcome to the SPACs Attack. I got Chris in the back, and it's going to be a great one. So hit that like. Let's get it started. On November 11th, join us for Benzinga's seventh annual FinTech Awards. It's going to be a day full of networking, deal-making, and recognition of incredible achievements that you won't want to miss. What up, traders? How we doing? Let's bring in my man, the one... The only Chris Opedia. What's going on, brother? Yeah, a jam-packed show today. We we got two interviews. We got some headlines. We got a lot to to talk about, and, and it's only Wednesday. Hey, a lot of a lot of stocks moving out there. Not just only SPACs, but uh, the whole market is is having a, a decent day, moving up and down. Some names moving all around. Uh, I even saw uh, one that I actually took a shot on we'll talk a little bit about that if we get a chance uh it's a sports betting stock that i've seen get up there a little bit past the ten dollar mark are we gonna see some action we'll see what happens like always guys let's get into our headlines what chris does best is definitely keep us informed let's go get right to it those headlines all right guys yeah so starting out on headlines today Jasper Therapeutics, JSPR, initiated by BMO Capital with an outperform rating and a $19 price target. Remember that Jasper Therapeutics was one of those high flyers, right? It was a high redemption, low float trade. So this thing still moves, um, you know, on any news. So up 2% today. Um, But again, a nice call out from the analyst that this company has an exciting future. So definitely keep an eye on JSPR. We got news from ELMS, Electric Last Mile Solutions, announcing that they were entering the Canadian market, expanding their global footprint. Um, So again, focused on the last mile. Um, They're going to expand in Canada. They hired a new president of the Canadian division. So they're going all in there. Canada is a very um, EV-friendly country. They have incentives of up to $8,000 Canadian. For customers who buy or lease an electric vehicle, they also have a mandatory target requiring 100% of car and light truck sales to be zero emission vehicles by 2035. Again, that's a little ways away. But a lot of companies, you know, know that that is coming, and I think they'll start buying and shifting to electric vehicles. So Electric Last Mile could benefit, you know, from that expansion in Canada. High Flyer, yesterday we had DNA, Ginkgo Bioworks. Um, we don't talk all the time about, you know, investor conferences and upcoming presentations, but I wanted to make sure everyone knows that Ginkgo Bioworks is participating in the Jeffries Gene Therapy and editing summit on October 27th. Cause I know that there is a, a lot of questions always in the chat, you know, about what does uh, DNA own? What do they do? So I think that conference could be a great place 
for that company to get highlighted again and explain all the different segments that it is in. Then we have Ambulance, uh, which is going public via MOTN. This is Last Mile Mobile Health Services and Medical Mobility Solutions. Uh, they announced a partnership with Carnival Corporation, the parent of Carnival Cruise Lines. So DocGo, which is owned by the company, will now help serve on Carnival Cruise Lines. Um, this includes Texas, Florida, Washington, and major ports. Um, they will have medical teams to provide on-ship services for the duration of the cruise. These experienced medical professionals operate alongside the ship's existing medical staff. Um, a nice deal here from MOTN SPAC merger partner. Prior to that deal closing, um, you know, we've talked about reopening plays and cruise line stocks. Um, if the cruise industry gets hot and heats back up, MOTN could be a potential winner from this. We did have the WeWork merger approved. Uh, we'll start trading as ticker WE later this week, current ticker BOWX. We saw 31% of shares uh, redeemed at the SPAC redemption. We have shares up 4% today. We did dip below 950 yesterday, but this is an interesting one. Remember that WeWork got a lot of attention. They were on CNBC when this deal was announced and we saw shares spike higher. I would expect them to get a media blitz later this week and I could see uh, WE trading over 10 on that ticker change. We'll follow that later this week. Then a GSAH merger with Mirion was approved. We'll start trading as MIR tomorrow. And the uh, Legato merger with ASTL, uh, that deal closed. We'll start trading as ticker ASTL later this week. I am long shares of LEGO. And then I have to give a shout out to our friend of the show, Julian Klamachko. He noted uh, that there have been 33 SPAC IPOs in October and only eight business combination announcements and that the market needs to see more deals and fewer IPOs. Especially, That's something that Mitch and I have talked about for quite a while, but we have not had any deals announced this week and several IPOs in SPACs. Mitch, that's what I've got for headlines. Uh, you know, a rather quiet day on the news side, but we do have some movers out there. Definitely have to stay with those movers and do what we do best here on the SPACs attack is informed you guys so that you guys can make investment decisions. All right, let's go ahead. I know that we have a lot to go into today. Normally, this is the time where we get into our watch list, tell you about the top movers of the day. But I'm going to go ahead and just get us right into our interviews. I know that Chris got a great one coming up. And then we got Kin Insurance after that. Aspiration coming up next. Uh, if you guys want to find out more about this company, I will definitely throw up the link to their investor relation page in the chat so that you guys can do some research while we go through it. All right, Chris, let's go ahead. Let's get right into the interview and knock it out. Do what we do best and unlock the SPAC game. All right, guys. Yeah, super excited. An exclusive interview here on SPACs Attack. Joining us on the show, we have Ahmed Fatou, the chairman and CEO of Interprivate 3, and Andre Cherney, the CEO and co-founder of Aspiration. Aspiration going public via Interprivate 3, ticker IPVF. 
and will change over to the new ticker ASP upon merger close. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Great to Thank be you. here. Awesome, guys. So, uh, you know, we, we've got the company going public and we've got the SPAC taking the company public with us today. So an exciting interview. We get to hear both sides of the story. Um, I'm going to start with Andre here. Um, you know, why the decision, uh, a SPAC deal to bring Aspiration public and was a traditional IPO also considered by your company? Yeah, of course. We looked at all of our options, but the reason we decided to go with a SPAC deal. And the reason we decided to go specifically with Interprivate was because of the place where Aspiration finds ourselves, which is really this moment where we are seeing incredibly fast growth as we're pioneering this category of sustainability as a service, bringing to both people and businesses ways to integrate sustainable action into what they're doing on a daily basis in ways that make it easy, that automate it. We've been seeing very fast growth across the board Working through a SPAC partner was a faster way, of course, to to get to market and allowed us to tell that story in a big way. And working specifically with Interprivate was so important because we found in Interprivate with Ahmed and, and, and the rest of the team and the board uh, a partner that allowed us to be able to continue to reach out to the kinds of enterprises and businesses that are partnering with Aspiration in order to help those businesses meet the bottom-up demand they're seeing for sustainability from their customers and their employees. It is a, a moment where we're seeing just gigantic change in the market, and, and we wanted to be able to both move fast and have a partner that allows us to have those conversations in a bigger way. Perfect. And Ahmed, I turn to you. You know, uh, as we know in the SPAC market, you know, you have your choice of hundreds and thousands of private companies out there. So, you know, walk us through the decision uh, that led you to Aspiration as, you know, the, the company that you are bringing public? Sure. And thanks for having us. Um, so as you may know, Interprivate uh, is a, a repeat sponsor and, and we manage a series of SPACs and, and each SPAC actually has a uh, an industry focus. And so Interprivate 3, this vehicle uh, has, uh, my partners all come from a financial services and fintech background. So this was uh, very much in the, in the, 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 down the center of the fairway. Uh, you know, when we first met uh, uh, Andre and his co-founder, Joe, uh, we, we thought this was a, a green neobank, uh, which, uh, which would have certainly fit the mandate. But as we dug deeper, we found it was so much more and, and the uh, really creating its own category of sustainability as a service. Uh, and um, the idea here was, could we bring more than just our capital to bear? And um, as Andre mentioned, you know, we have uh, a, a real uh, breadth of experience, our team and our board all coming from uh, traditional financial services uh, uh, companies who are great strategic partners for Aspiration, uh, so that Aspiration's fintech solutions that are driving uh, both uh, the consumer side as well as the enterprise side uh, were, are great prospects for some of the companies that we know uh, on the traditional finance side. Awesome. Uh, Andre, you know, we talk about uh, the pipe on deals sometimes, and we also talk about, you know, existing investors in the company. So uh, one name, you know, really stuck out on this pipe, and that was uh, Drake. And I did some digging, and I also saw that Aspiration is backed by Drake, Robert Downey Jr., Leonardo DiCaprio, Orlando Bloom, and Cindy Crawford. 
Uh, I don't know how many people knew this, but walk us through some of the celebrities that are invested in Aspiration and how that can help with some brand awareness down the road for the company. We're, we're honored to have all of our uh, investors, be they some of those uh, better known names and, 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 and those names that are, of course, better known in the financial industry or uh, in the investor community. But it's, it's important, as you said, to be able to not just create that brand awareness, but create that education. A big part of what Aspiration is at the forefront of is this cultural change. We're in this rush to sustainability that is going to likely be the fastest, largest shift in behavior for people in human history. And so much of that is about helping people understand what they can do on a daily basis in order to help be part of the fight against climate change. And when you have those voices who have incredible reach, but also who have real credibility on these kinds of conversations, people like Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Robert Downey Jr. And, and others who have been at the forefront of talking about environmental issues and talking about climate change, it helps people see the connection between how they're spending and saving on a daily basis and what those decisions with their money mean for the kind of world they want to leave behind. Ahmed, I saw an interesting stat um, in the investor presentation for this deal, and it was that seven in 10 Americans say they could do more to combat climate change, but they don't know where to start. You know, is that part of the thesis of, you know, investing and bringing aspiration public is really that that brand awareness of people wanting to do more, but not knowing where to start? Sure. I think there's probably two things to touch on there. First of all, um, the Aspiration product offering makes it very easy to integrate and automate impact, right? That's why you know, we've heard of it even called as like an operating system for impact. Like you, it's a, you, you sign up uh, for the fintech products, be they a debit card, an account, now the new Aspiration Zero credit card. And then you're automatically, every time you make a purchase, uh, doing your part to reflect your values and, uh, and, and promote sustainability with the carbon offsetting uh, implementations that are implemented, again, automatically and every single time. So we all know the power of, 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 of habit. And so if this is happening every time you execute a transaction, it may be small amounts, but you buy a cup of coffee, you go for dinner, you buy an airplane ticket, all the different things you do, um, you have uh, the ability to implement change through that by having the tree planting uh, automation that happens in, in, the, in every single transaction you do. So that's a way for people to not have to think about it each time they do it and then have a very significant impact. The other part of it that you that is worth touching on is this, the company's going public, but the consumer side of this is a very real uh, market opportunity. They're an asset themselves. That This is uh, a, a large membership of people who are conscious consumers and they become an interesting target market for the companies and enterprises that partner with Aspiration, not just to offset their carbon footprint, but to create sustainable products and services that can be marketed to these consumers. So it, it creates a little bit of a, of, a, of a good flywheel with the brand being central to it, because at this point, Aspiration has really become uh, synonymous with sustainability. And, and that was a big part of our investment thesis, for sure. That, that's awesome. Andre, you know, uh, great lead there from Ahmed, you know, talking about some of your products. You know, if I'm a person, I want to do more to fight climate change. How can I get started with Aspiration and what are those, uh, you know, debit and credit cards all about? 
Yeah. Well, the best place to start is with our aspiration spend and save account. And, and with that account, you're able to make sure all of your deposits are no longer doing what they're doing in any of the big banks where you have them currently and making sure they're no longer funding oil and gas pipelines, drilling uh, anything in the fossil fuel uh, economy. You're able to divest your money and stop those deposits from being used in that way. And so we help make people's saving sustainable with that. We help make their spending sustainable with something called AIM, which is the aspiration impact measurement. And that lets you see your own personal sustainability score as you're shopping and spending throughout the day and be able to compare different businesses to one another. So do you want to go to CVS or Walgreens or McDonald's or Burger King? How do those businesses treat people? How do they treat the planet? And be able to decide for, based on that. And then from there, we build these sustainability tools on top of those interactions. Uh, things like, as, as Ahmed mentioned, automatic carbon offsetting or planting a tree with every purchase. We launched Planter Change last year, which lets our customers plant a tree with every purchase. And with that, they've thus far in our aspiration community planted 35 million trees just over the past year alone. We're planting more trees than there are in Central Park every single day. Uh, and now with, with Aspiration Zero, our cr new credit card, it's really the first credit card built to fight the climate crisis. And in fact, maybe one of the only products out there that will allow you to offset your entire carbon footprint as an average American just by using it once a day. And so there's enormous power in these products that people are using in the way they're using their money. And with Aspiration, we're really at the forefront of building sustainable consumer financial products for people to be able to change how they're thinking about their dollars and cents on a daily basis. Perfect. You know, Ahmed, so that was a, a great summary there of, you know, the consumer side of things. But Aspiration also has, you know, that that commercial, that business side of things. So, Ahmed, as you look for targets, you know, for companies to bring public, you always want to look for that growth. But Aspiration already really has that existing, you know, big commercial business. How big of a factor was that in, you know, Aspiration being a great target here? And how important is that commercial business um, for the company. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, as I said, when we first met the company, we weren't aware of that side of their business. And as we dug into that, um, that became a very big factor in our decision to invest. Um, just like individuals are looking to reflect their values in their everyday financial transactions, uh, corporates are looking for ways to make sure that they are achieving their ESG goals. And Aspiration helps them do that, uh, not just through the carbon offsetting solutions, but a really bundled solution that in involves affiliating with Aspiration and creating innovative products and services. Uh, you may have heard about the deal we've recently done with, uh, with the LA Clippers, uh, where there will be um, a program that allows people to essentially offset their visits to watch a game and, their, and, and, and uh, automatically integrate that into their ticket fees. Uh, these are sorts of things that, that are really uh, unique to Aspiration because, again, the consumer reach of, of the Aspiration brand is important to the corporates to say that we're doing this and we're doing this with a quantity that stands for this theme. Um, and so we are seeing, I mean, we've we've spent so much time uh, in the corporate world on B2B businesses um, and rarely have we seen the engagement that we see when, a when we go in and speak to a company about we can help you fulfill your ESG goals. Um, 
the, the receptivity is, 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 is very high and we are hoping to see that manifest itself in, uh, in the business and its, uh, and its performance. Great. So Andre, you know, we talk on the show a lot about uh, companies uh, that are in sectors that have a like SaaS business model, right? Software as a service. So Aspiration has sustainability as a service. I love that phrase. Walk us through what sustainability as a service means and how that's going to help propel Aspiration in the future. Well, look, we're really in this zero to one moment, both for individuals and for companies. Over the next three, four, five years, uh, so many companies are going to do exactly what Ahmed was just talking about. Wake up to this need to meet an expectation for sustainability from their customers and their employees. And with Aspiration, what we offer is essentially the perhaps only branded, bundled set of solutions for these businesses to be able to not just get to something like net zero, but be able to embed that story into what they're doing every day and, and, and deliver that experience to their customers and, and, and to their employees. And so when we think about something like sustainability service, what we think about is the products, the technology, the feature, the services, the solutions that allow us to embed sustainability into the daily actions of both people and businesses in ways that make it easy, that automate it, that make it engaging because that's still really important, but that also make it really powerful, that really move the needle on a challenge like climate change and, and allow people to uh, change the trajectory of their own impact on the climate. Awesome, I wanna look at uh, financials here for a minute. So we had a slide up earlier that showed the revenue breakdown, 31% consumer FinTech products, 13% consumer ESG services and 56% corporate ESG services. Uh, you know, Ahmed, as you get this deal complete and you do projections of you know revenue and financials going forward, uh, what does the future look like? Uh, you know, what are going to be the biggest growth drivers for Aspiration uh, among these three services? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at it. But what you're seeing is a, a, a very complementary business model. Uh, I know that they appear to be two business lines, but I think we have to remember that there's really no corporate business without the consumer business. The consumer business is what is building the brand and giving Aspiration the entree to the corporates to help them uh, achieve their goals. Um, so they are quite symbiotic. Uh, but I think it's a nice balance that we have uh, with the consumer side when you add the 31% and 13% and, and being nearly half, uh, you know, and, and the ESG side, uh, sorry, the, the corporate side uh, being a little over half right now. And uh, it's hard to for forecast because there's really strong growth in both sides. Uh, in, and so, you know, we'll have to see. We hopefully will continue to see uh, more of what has been happening this year just in the time that we've been involved. Uh, you know, the company has increased substantially in its size, and uh, we hope that that's going to continue to occur. Andre, your thoughts on, you know, revenue going forward and then also talk a little bit about, you know, the strong margins that Aspiration has and profitability. Well, look, we're, see, we see ourselves as being in the business of, of fighting the climate crisis and, and, it, and it's a business. Uh, and, and part of what we're doing out there is showing that you can build a business with very strong revenue and strong profit margins on doing something that is so important to the future of the planet. Uh, there's a gigantic opportunity here. Again, we are in the midst of this 
global change. We're in the midst of this change in how each of us as individuals is going to be operating over the next three, four, five years. In some ways, in, in ways we don't even know yet, but, but we know it's coming. And aspiration is really at the forefront of that. And, and whenever you have that kind of dramatic change, it creates real opportunity. Uh, aspiration essentially is uh, the market when it comes for sustainability-focused consumer financial products. Uh, as we talked about, our spend and save account, our aspiration zero credit card in, in the U.S. And, and we think we have a real opportunity globally. And we're in this very important uh, place in the B2B side of the market. Uh, every single day, seemingly, you're seeing more and more businesses say, we need to get to net zero. We need to figure out how to offset, reduce our own carbon footprint. And as that continues to happen and as aspiration continues to grow and thrive, we're going to be in a place where we can not only help drive a lot of that positive change, but you know, as we always say for our consumers, both not only do, go do good, but do well at the same time. Yeah, uh, I would even add. I would go ahead, Ahmed. I was just going to say, I was going to even add to it when you talk about this business model. I mean, one of the things that was attractive to us is you have growth, but you also have stickiness, right? Um, you know, we've rarely seen businesses that have sort of this sort of lifetime value of customers. Um, and, you know, and you compare that to the cost of acquiring those customers, we are spending and a big part of, of the reason for Aspiration to go public and bring in this capital right now is to double and triple and quadruple down into what is a fantastic investment and fantastic return on investment because you acquire these customers customers and you know it's not like uh you know certain consumer products where people may change them every quarter or every year people don't tend to change their bank accounts and their their savings programs their credit cards and debit cards with that frequency in fact they tend to get deeper into their financial relationship with their with their uh, financial services providers so you have very nice uh long life uh, uh, opportunities here around the customers. And then again, that investment in, in bringing in those customers is symbiotic with, with the corporate side as well, because as the brand gets stronger, more and more corporate clients are attracted to it. So I do think it's differentiated. You, you talked a little bit about software as a service and why people like to invest in SaaS businesses. And it is because of those subscription-like models. And here, I think the, the longevity of the client when they are acquired um, you know, uh, offer similar dynamics that we're very attracted to as investors, because as, as Andre said, we, we, we love that Aspiration is doing good and it is uh, you know, also an investment opportunity for our investors to do well. Love that. I mean, Andre, that's got to be great to hear, you know, some of these comments from Ahmed, right, on why, you know, the decision to bring Aspiration public. Uh, one of the things, you know, with going public now is you'll have investors that want to know, you know, What's next, right? So we talked about, you know, the commercial side of things, the consumer side of things. In the presentation, there's some ideas thrown out. So uh, automated carbon neutral shipping on purchases, insurance products, personalized ESG investing, electric vehicle financing, and green home mortgages. Can you just, you know, maybe highlight one or two of these and how close are we to seeing any of these be part of the aspiration business lines? Yeah, for the most part, these are ideas that aren't actually captured in, in the projections and in the model and in the numbers that, we, that we've shared. Uh, but they are ones that we are actively working on in, in, in many of those cases. And it comes back to what, what Ahmed spoke about, which is we see customers that are, yes, very sticky, but also very, very high cross adoption. We see uh, nearly 60% of our customers 
signing up for at least one other revenue generating product or service with aspiration in the first year alone because they want to do more and more when it comes to sustainability. And so as we offer them ways to make their spending sustainable, their savings sustainable, uh, some ways to make their investing sustainable now uh, building into their credit card, there are so many more opportunities for how we can continue to be that financial home built around shared values and sustainability. And there's so many other things we're gonna be working on in terms of expanding our, our B2B offerings, in, in terms of global expansion, in terms of other partnerships and, uh, and work that we're gonna be doing. Again, we are, we've come a long way at Aspiration, but we are in the early stages of, of this gigantic societal shift and, and Aspiration really has the opportunity to be driving a lot of that and really be at the forefront of a lot of that. Uh, before uh, you know, we let you guys go, uh, Ahmed brought up an interesting uh, point about the Clippers, right? So we had the NBA season start last night. So Aspiration has a uh, sponsorship deal with the Clippers for that new arena. And then also, you know, the carbon offsetting ticketing program that Ahmed mentioned. Andre, how important could this be for Aspiration, for brand awareness? And do you see, you know, more sports teams uh, you know, coming to you or looking for carbon offsetting moves in the future? We do. Look, we, we see businesses, sports teams, leagues, but really across the board, everywhere from large Fortune 100 companies to SMBs, uh, mom and pop, uh, small businesses coming to Aspiration. And something like the Clippers deal really helps us tell that story. As Ahmed said, when he first uh, came to Aspiration, he didn't maybe even know that we had this B2B side of the business. More and more people are finding out about that every day. And more and more businesses, again, across the board are waking up to this holy moly demand for doing something around sustainability. And Aspiration being that recognized voice, being that recognized partner with things like the Clippers, with, with some of the deals we've already announced and others that we're going to be announcing, helps to solidify our place as the go-to partner for branded bundled sustainability solutions for companies. Ahmed, any more comments on the, the Clippers deal and uh, you know what Andre just hit at? Yeah, no, look, it's obviously fun to be uh, involved with such a fantastic organization, uh, but um, it does highlight that this is top of mind and um, it's it's being uh, driven by the actual consumer demand, right? So these corporates um, are, are doing this in part to fulfill their internal ESG goals, but in part, these are sometimes revenue generative opportunities. Uh, you know, the, the company has uh, you know, built uh, sustainable uh, homes that are being co-branded with Aspiration and marketed to individuals who would like to offset the carbon footprint of the home building that, that was done to kind of produce where they live. Looks like we lost, lost Ahmed there that. for a minute. Sorry. Oh, there we Sorry go. About that. Go yeah. ahead. All of these, um, all of these sort of opportunities just tell you that the end customer is driving this. The end customer wants sustainable products and services, and partnering with Aspiration allows you to do that in a very consumer-facing way that uh, 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 allows for revenue generation, not just um, oh, this is the cost we have to to deal with uh, with uh, with our ESG obligations. No, there's a, a way to kind of build your own brand alongside Aspiration, get 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 to the the customers who want to see those products and services, and drive revenue for yourself as a business and in in this changing uh, in this changing world 
That's awesome. And Andre, I heard you say that, you know, you might have some uh, partnerships to announce in the future in the sports industry. So we'll look forward to hearing more, you know, from the company and following the progress of this deal. Uh, again, for viewers out there, we have Ahmed Fatou, the chairman and CEO of Interprivate 3, and Andre Cherney, the CEO and co-founder of Aspiration. Aspiration going public with Interprivate 3, IPVF, the current ticker, and the new ticker will be ASP. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules and joining us today. Thank, thank you for Chris. having us. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, guys out there, you know, another great interview, right? An exclusive here on SPACs Attack, ESG. Mitch, what do you think about that, right? Uh, ditch your bank and maybe, you know, start a new product here where just by using, you know, your everyday banking services, you can help plant trees and offset, you know, carbon emissions. Uh, that's an industry I hadn't heard much about. And I mean, also Drake, right? Drake, an investor, Leo, Cindy Crawford. I mean, some big names there and the Clippers sponsorship deal. I, I, I'm like an aspiration as I learn more. I mean, this was a company I was not as familiar with prior to the SPAC merger. All right. I want to give us a chance here. Everybody in the chat, let's hit that like button. Let's go ahead. If you guys enjoyed hearing about that, I mean, at the end of the day, one of the things that we're all looking for is how we can help the environment. I was talking about, Chris, how, you know, sometimes a lot of the times when you go to help the environment, you end up having to put out of pocket, right? Or do some of your own expense. This is that exact reason why companies like this are being created right now because I want to have an ability to give back, but I also don't want to go ahead and give back my own money. What I would prefer is for these companies to try to be helping the environment. And that's exactly what this opportunity is. So definitely smash a like, like my man, Jason Raznick in the chat saying this phenomenal show using those vocab words that I, I probably need to use more often, but definitely those power words are out there and let's get it going. We got something up for you up next. It's hey. We're going to keep it going here. We're going to definitely go into the next level. So definitely you guys in the chat, give us a thumbs up. Let's keep the party going. Where are we at right now? We at 44, over we 220 got, people. We got to get some right more now. likes. Two interviews today, Mitch. I mean, it's a jam-packed show. And again, you got a trading idea there for an ESG company. There's not a ton of peer play public ESG focused companies and aspirations about to be one. And then we have coming up soon, we've got Kin Insurance, right? An insurance company that's transforming the industry. Um, you'll hear more about that soon. But yeah, we got to get some likes there. Yep. Let's go ahead. Let's get it on up. Up next, we'll be getting into Kin Insurance. So if you guys want to go ahead and see that, definitely give us a like and give us a thumbs up. Up next, we're going to be getting into it with Matt Higgins and Sean Harper getting into that with OCA and Kin Insurance. I got a video to tell you guys a little bit more about Kin Insurance here. Let's go ahead and play that video, learn a little bit more about the company, and just can't wait to get into the interview. Let's go ahead, knock it out, put this on the screen here. We have ominous news coming from the hurricane hunters as they continue to track Hurricane Ida. The National Hurricane Center is warning that Ida will bring life-threatening storm surge, potentially catastrophic wind damage and flooding rainfall. Climate change, unfortunately, it's, it's actually accelerating. It's intensifying. 
And in a decade, there really won't be anywhere to run from it. It's the new normal, and we're prepared to meet its challenges head on while helping our customers to do the same. The effects of Ida are already being felt. A Category 3 hurricane, wind up to 120 miles per hour as it makes landfall in Cuba. Hurricane Ida is a reminder to all homeowners that storms can rapidly intensify into life-threatening events, so we really need to prepare. At KIN, we truly care about our customers' safety. We're here for them in the long-term and in emergent situations. We work to educate our members on ways they can harden their homes to better withstand storms and other events. That's one of the reasons KIN continuously monitors catastrophic events that could reach our customers. We analyze potentially developing storms, track the path of events, and model the potential impact on our policyholders. This allows us to be there for our members when they need us most. Technology is really important in insurance, and it's at the center of everything that we do. We're able to combine tons of data in near real time in order to understand the impact of various events. Uh, so for instance, when Ida was coming, we were able to take data uh, from the National Hurricane Center and other data sources and take that, that layer of geospatial data and overlay it on our book of policies to understand how our policyholders might be impacted by the storm. Ida's path had enough certainty that we triggered our automated pre-event text messages to all of our members in the projected path of the storm. With our pre-event texts, we proactively let our customers know the storm was coming, and we provided custom resources with safety tips and ways they could prepare for the hurricane. Hurricane Ida is forecast to be a large, powerful, dangerous hurricane, a Cat 4 at landfall. 24 hours before landfall, the residents were evacuating. To help our members stay safe, we sent a second pre-event text that encouraged policyholders to download the FEMA app for weather alerts, shelter listings, and safety tips. We also continued to update our lists of customers who may be impacted by low risk, moderate risk, and potentially high risk wind speeds. That allowed us to closely monitor high risk properties for damage and customer safety. Five hours after landfall, Hurricane Ida was still a category four hurricane with sustained winds of 130 miles an hour. Ida made landfall on August 29th, the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, which was the most devastating and costly hurricane in Louisiana's history. Because of Ken's use of technology and data science, our experienced claims team was well prepared to support our customers. As soon as the storm passed, we sent wellness checks to all of our members in the path to make sure they were safe and to determine how we could help. Our policyholders texted back with insights that helped us understand the ground impact of the storm in real time. If a customer notifies us that they've evacuated, we're able to flag them for immediate post-storm review using aerial imagery. After a major event, it can take a few days to get adjusters on the ground, but because we have aerial imagery that shows a roof is damaged or not, we don't have to wait for boots on the ground to know that a home has been damaged. 
so we can get the process started and pay customers for damage faster. A lot of methods of communication change after a major storm. There's no power, no internet, no cell phone service. So we have to adapt and contact people any way possible and get claims started via text message because it's often the only form of communication that's working. By day five, we had aerial imagery available for 94% of our affected policyholders. We're always keeping the customer in the loop so that they know what's happening and what they should be doing to prepare. In terms of sustained maximum wind speed at landfall, Hurricane Ida ties with Hurricane Laura and the 1856 Last Island Hurricane. These are the strongest storms on record to make landfall in Louisiana. Then it went on and it caused major flash floods throughout the Northeast, including Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York. This is a reminder that our climate is changing faster than ever. Storms like Ida will be the new normal. Our customers deserve an insurance company that is prepared for it. Oh, we got that mute All trick right after there. the video. Oh man, and it was going so well today, Mitch. That that was a great video, right? That's got me hyped up to to ask some great questions with with Matt and Sean again. We've got them joining in a couple minutes. I mean, you know, you talk about a devastating, uh, you know, event, a hurricane, and you know, possibly having to evacuate. Um, you know, having damage to your home, and here you have Ken able to use data ahead of time. And then also texting customers to help them get paid quicker and use information those texts to further analyze and more things. I mean, this company is at the forefront, right, of using technology in the insurance market. They're also direct to consumer, right? You don't have to worry about insurance agents. So they're cutting costs that way and also getting to the customer quicker. I mean, what did you think of that video, Mitch? There, there was a lot there. Definitely. You know, one of the things that we're going to continue seeing is, of course, global warming making bigger and bigger uh, weather events. I mean, this is this is just look at the hurricanes, right? If you look at hurricanes compared 20 years ago to the strength that we see nowadays, it's almost common to see a category three, four, five hurricane now when it used to be more common to see maybe a one or a two category hurricane. And I think you're going to continue to see to the point where maybe someday down the line, you see a category six where they actually increase the category going above that because I mean, we're seeing really, really bad storms coming out. And what do we see? We see increasing amount of hurricanes every year, and we'll continue to pay attention towards it. Let's go ahead. Let's get right into our interview. We're going to go ahead and bring on Matt Higgins here. He's ready. I know he's all ready. I'm ready. I got the Dolphins ready. We need to bounce back. But let's go ahead and bring on my man, Matt. How we doing? We're doing good. Thanks for having me. Can you guys hear me good? We can hear you great. It's great to have you back on the show, Matt. Uh, before you joined us, we played that video um, again, an exclusive premiere here on Benzinga to walk us through that video. You know, hurricanes, uh, a big event, right, that can have devastating impacts and also a big event for insurance companies. You know, how is Kin, you know, using data ahead of these events to, to really help the customer out? 
Well, well, thanks for having me, by the way. And the video is kind of amazing. I, I think the video does a good job of translating what some people think is like a fundamentally boring industry. Insurance is the kind of thing you don't want to think about until you need to think about it. And obviously, we need to think about it a lot more with uh, climate change. But I think what, what that video demonstrates is the, the paradigm shift that, that Ken is embracing. I think most insurance companies look at the claims as like a necessary evil, but something to be avoided at all costs. And Ken takes the opposite approach, and it shows up when there's a climate uh, catastrophe on the horizon like it did with a recent hurricane, which is first, number one, you know, notify everybody uh, within the path of the hurricane that that please take preparations. Number two, as information unfolds, the trajectory changes, continue to communicate as you see with those tech mes text messages, right? You know, three, be a, be a resource in what can be a really traumatic time for people uh, by using text messaging to check in, hey, are you okay? And as you saw in that video, oftentimes, you know, I'm safe, but I had to evacuate. And that's where Ken goes the extra mile, which you just unheard of with an insurance company. Uh, actually, we can give you some information on your home. We'll be right back. And Ken will use aerial photography and their alchemy to figure out, is there damage in that property? And if there is one, we let you know. Uh, but two, we do something about it. Oftentimes, uh, when there's a when there's an incident, roads are blocked, power lines are down, it's really hard to go ahead and get services. But those critical first couple of days could mean the difference between a lot of damage or containing the damage. So, well, Ken will get involved and will contact you know uh, a crew to try to get somebody out there quickly, tarp that roof, protect the water damage. So, the bottom line, more than the magic of the tech, which is pretty amazing, it's the magic of the paradigm, which is an insurance company saying like. You paid for this service. You need this service most when things go terribly wrong. Why are we avoiding interacting with you? This is the time we should deliver. And lastly, and I'll stop talking because I'm so passionate about it. It shows up in in, in the uh, the net promoter score. How many insurance companies have an NPS, you know, in the high 80s and have a retention rate, you know, of 92%? This last quarter was actually higher. So anyway, I know it's a boring topic, everyone, but we're going to need insurance more and more as the world kind of goes crap, <laughs> and that's where uh, Ken comes in. Hey, if insurance is boring, we, we've got you on here, though, with so much passion to talk about this great company. So again, Matt Higgins, Omnichannel Acquisition, OCA, and bringing Kin Insurance public. New ticker will be KIN. We got to bring Sean on here now. So we have Sean Harper, the CEO and co-founder of Kin Insurance, um, you know, joining us again on SPACs Attack here. So Sean, welcome back to the show. We just played that video you know, talking about a hurricane, right? And how Kin Insurance was able to, you know, get ahead of that event, right? Using data. But I want to talk about the text messaging. I mean, that blew me away, right? You don't see many insurance companies texting their customers to make sure they're okay and, and getting those response rates back to be able to facilitate timely and fast, you know, reimbursements. So walk us through, you know, why text? with customers for Ken here? Yeah, so the, the the old way of doing it is you basically wait for the customer to identify damage. They call you, you send out a guy in a pickup truck, it takes weeks, right? And so in homeowner's insurance, the day-to-day, -day, like the everyday claims, those are hard, but that's not really the, the hardest part, right? The hardest part is when you have lots and lots of claims all at once. Like there's a hurricane, now you have thousands of customers with claims. and so text is really great because it's efficient. We actually ingest those text messages into you know, a tech infrastructure that can respond to them and triage them automatically. So it makes us really efficient. But the other thing is 
you know, after a storm, not much works. <laughs> and so text is really good because it's it works in a low bandwidth environment. And so you might not have, you might not be able to connect a call, but you can send us a text. Usually it might take a little while to upload a photo or something like that, but it's, it's a very resilient form of communication when, when things aren't working quite right. And so it's really perfect for, for this. And also just like <clears throat> people use text for everything, right? Like we've gotten so used to it. We use text to order food. I never talk to people on the phone anymore. I always text them. And, and so it's only natural that your insurance company would do it the way that you're used to doing it, the way that makes sense for you. That's perfect. Yeah, text is definitely a preferred, you know, method of communication. Sean, I want to stick with you and then give Matt a chance here. We got third quarter financial results for Kin Insurance today. We actually had those out early this morning exclusively on Benzinga. So we saw third quarter gross written premiums of 26.7 million up 534% and total managed premiums up 420% to $27.8 million. I mean, triple digit growth here. Walk us through the highlights from that third quarter report, Sean. Yeah, so so we did grow very fast. And I think people are surprised by that. It's like a huge growth rate, but we, we weren't particularly surprised by it because one of the things that we were adamant about and our board was adamant about is don't try to scale this business prematurely. So let's make sure the math around customer acquisition works really, really well. And so we got to the point where we knew that if we put in 500 bucks, that we get a new customer and that that new customer generates about, uh, it's almost seven, it's actually above $1,700 of premium now. Uh, and, and they renew at a very high rate. You know, we have historically renewed about 92% of our customers. This quarter was even better. It was 99%. So like, we could see all of these leading things. We just know that if you put more money into this machine, this is what happens. And so we did that, right? We we had raised more money and we were really confident. We were able to just sort of put more money into the machine and the results were exactly what we expected. In some cases, like the renewal rate, they're actually a bit better than we expected, which is, you know, it's nice when that happens. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we're, we're excited. We grew really fast. And then you know, our unit economics are hugely influenced by how long we keep a customer. It's so hard to get a new customer. Nobody wants to think about changing insurance. It's like the last thing in the world you want to think about. So if we can keep our customers longer, it just makes our life that much easier, right? So like I think about, you know, how I'm going to hit next year's numbers. It makes me really confident and happy that I know that, you know, most of my customers will stay back. Almost 100% of them will actually be there, you know, stay here from this year to next year. It just makes our life a lot easier. Perfect. So Matt, yeah, I mean, Kin Insurance, triple digit growth in managed premiums for five straight quarters. You know, you were able to look at this company, you know, before you decided to bring it public. Uh, what were the highlights for the third quarter, you know, for you as an investor and the person, you know, helping bring Kin public here? Um, I think most importantly, you know, do you do what you say you're going to do? There's a lot of skepticism out there, especially with SPAC deals. In some cases, rightfully so, frankly, few bad actors, you know, make, 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 uh, you know, you know, contain the space. And so for me, because I'm an expert in the space, I teach the subject at Harvard Business School. I have a lot of direct to consumer businesses. Ken is exactly what I was looking for, but I stayed within my lane, frankly. I spent a ton of time looking at customer acquisition costs, LTV, understanding what it takes to work within a highly regulated industry. I spent my early years 
you know, in government helping oversee the rebuilding of the World Trade Center site. So all the things that Ken has to do to be successful are things that are comfortable to me and familiar to me. So this deal is the byproduct of tons of work around diligence and just spending time uh, understanding the space, and understanding those numbers. So uh, I think for me, it's not a surprise, frankly, that they're executing or else I wouldn't have done the deal in the first place. But at the same time, you know, Sean is an amazing operator. He's got a great team. I tend to like really hard, complicated businesses because complexity becomes its own moat. I mean, I don't know how many crazy people like Sean would wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to start an insurance company from scratch, you know, five years ago. But actually, as you begin to understand uh, the industry, it makes total sense that the future, you know, iconic insurance company would have been created from scratch because you could eliminate a lot of the inefficiencies in the industry by starting from scratch. For example, going direct to consumer. You know, insurance is a virtual product. I've said this before. Selling it at a strip mall makes no sense. So if you were to start from day one, you try to build a machine where you can underwrite with data because data is more accurate than, you know, than human intervention when it comes to underwriting, frankly. Let's say this roof is nine years old instead of 10. And then you find out certainly the roof wasn't in good condition when there's a storm. So use data, sell direct so you can bypass, you know, intermediary because it makes more sense. And lastly, the fact that Kin resonates with such a diverse demographic of customers tells you that they have amazing product market fit. The average age of a Kin customer, you know, if I were to ask anyone watching right now, they'd probably be like, oh, maybe it's like 33, it's a millennial, it's an early adopter, it's 57 years old, older than me, I'm happy to say at the moment. Uh, so that tells you that this is the way insurance should be sold and will be sold. And Kin is just a little bit early. So it takes time to explain our case, transfer conviction, get people interested in insurance. but but it's happening. So I'm most excited about today because I think more and more people will pay attention to Ken's story. Okay, so one of the things that I'm paying attention to is of course, with that high growth, we need to wonder what, how long does it take to pay back, right? And, and getting this customer. So I think this is a, a great slide here from the, uh, this is from the analyst day uh, from 9.30 here. Uh, so one of the things that you can see here is the customer acquisition cost and how really you, you guys are able to get this back in a fast manner. And I think this makes a big difference between and why it's a DTC model versus what you see from the other insurance providers. Uh, I'll go to Sean with this. How do you guys able to get this fast payback? Well, a really important thing is tying your customer acquisition to your underwriting and risk preferences. And so in insurance, typically this has been very decoupled, right? Because the risk appetite is set at the carrier and the marketing is done by these third party, like external companies, actually, these agents. Um, so it's, it's really hard to be efficient in marketing that way. And in fact, a lot of the carriers, when they run an ad campaign, they actually aren't able to measure the response of it because they, they can't see the conversion happening. A conversion is happening. The customer sees an ad. They call their local agent. The local agent shops them against 10 different carriers. Maybe they request the one they saw the ad for. It's just a very long, convoluted thing. So with us, that's not the case. We're actually, and a lot of and a lot of money gets wasted that way, right? It's like, you know, you see these TV commercials during football games. <laughs> it's just not happening. Uh, and you'll see it even like so. So like, I get at my house every year probably ten different uh, State Farm mailings, uh, and they're all from these State Farm agents. Now, what those agents actually don't know when they send out those mailings is that State Farm has already declined to underwrite my house. 
I don't know why <laughs> I don't work there, but it's, it's just a lot of wasted money because these two things are totally decoupled. So akin, what we do is totally different. We actually start by pre underwriting the entire geography. And then we run the customer, we, so we, we run the customer through our underwriting appetite. Um, we run them through a model that predicts conversion rate and a model that predicts claims. And we use that to decide what traffic to bid on, who to target online, who to target offline with direct mail, who to really focus on when they come into the funnel and who, who do not focus on as much. And though tying those two things together creates a lot of efficiency. Uh, and if you look at other, other industry, right, other consumer financial products, that's how it works, right? You don't have these external brokers that are decoupled for really any other consumer financial product. And it's sort of weird and anachronistic that you do uh, for homeowners insurance. And it just creates a lot of efficient, a lot of inefficiency. So yeah, we're, you know, the, the old way of doing it, you pay that external agent, you know, 15% roughly recurring. And they have a few extra points on top to, uh, you know, to, to manage all those external companies. What we do is, you know, we're, we're able to generate a customer for 500 bucks up front. We keep those customers for a really, really long time. And we think that that's a much better equation. You know, it, it, there's more money left over. We can keep that money for our investors. And then we can also share that money back to our customers in terms of higher service levels and lower prices, which creates a really amazing feedback loop because as the customers see the lower prices, higher service levels, they're that much more likely to convert and it's just very hard if you're using the old model to keep up with what we're doing. Yeah, I think this slide says it really great. Um, when you see it, you see the overhead and the agent's commission. Uh, definitely, guys, if you guys don't get a second to check this out, I would check it out. Uh, this is per 100 of insurance premium, um, but it says right here, a typical homeowner uh, carrier pays 68% of the premiums for the claims and reinsurance. I think this is very important where you're starting to get around that agent and that's really where you see the expenses come down. Absolutely, yeah, and actually, you know, the agents, being an insurance agent at scale is an amazingly good business. It's actually a much better business than being an insurance carrier, right? You'll look at insurance agencies, especially big ones that have reached scale, and they'll very often have 30% plus EBITDA margins, you know, sometimes as high as even 50%. And meanwhile, you have the insurance companies scrambling to eke out a five to 10% underwriting margin. Um, and, and in exchange for that, accepting a ton of volatility as the weather is different one year to the next. And so by combining these two things, we actually have a much better business model because we've internalized those agent economics. And so Kin, you know, because we're getting our customers directly, and then also because we're really not an insurance company, we manage an insurance company owned by our customers, this reciprocal exchange. We really look a lot more like a very efficient, very high tech insurance distributor. Um, and, and I think that's really a good business model and, and it reduces all these inefficiencies, right? Like we talked about the marketing inefficiency that goes when you spend ads, when you spend money advertising for a product, you might not be able to underwrite, which is what the industry does. Also, you run into this on the servicing side because the analogy I would use is like, when you walk into an agent's office, or when you call an agent, you're basically going to like comp USA, right? There's like an Acer and a compact and HP and there's all these different gray boxes on the on the shelf, and then you you buy one and you walk out and guess what you're on your own, right? Like if the salesperson told you that computer does something and you go home and it doesn't do it, you're like kind of on your own. Like what what can you do? You can complain to Acer, I guess. Um, we're a lot. That's the traditional way, 
And so what we're, we're really is a lot more like the Apple store where we're only selling one product. We're selling it in an environment that we control completely. That's very high quality. And if you leave the store, so to speak, with our insurance product and you have an issue with it, we can solve that problem completely because we're the agent and we're, and we're the, the carrier. And so you'll see this, like sometimes you do, we might make a mistake, right? Maybe, maybe you asked a question about your coverages and whoever you talked to at Kin was like, they made a mistake and they gave you a wrong recommendation. We can fix that and we can fix it without a lot of hassle, without a lot of drama. So it ends up being a much better customer experience. A traditional insurance agent can't do that. They can't, they have no control over what the insurance company does. And so you have this sort of like he said, she said problem that generates a lot of inefficiencies. Uh, so we're really happy to not have to deal with that. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Love, love that background information, you know, on the overall insurance market. Uh, Matt, I want to talk about brand awareness for a minute. Um, you know, you know how to, to grow business as well, right? Uh, that's something that you've shown over the years. And one of the things that Kin Insurance recently did was they launched this brand campaign called Florida Man, which generated over a million social views and is helping, you know, with brand awareness for Kin. Uh, I'll start with you, Matt, you know, walk us through Florida Man, you know, how did this come to be and how is it really helping to bring brand awareness for Kin going forward? Yeah, so um, well, one of the one of the benefits here is that Sean and the team have spent five years, you know, building the, uh, the stake. And so now we get to play around and build the sizzle. Uh, but we don't want to, you know, compromise that incredible CAC to LTV ratio. So the advantage of being direct to consumer and an operating a digital environment, like you don't need to spend a gazillion dollars taking out an ad in the uh, left field of Yankee Stadium to build awareness. You can still do it within a digital environment. So Gary Vaynerchuk is my partner. He's also an advisor to OCA. Uh, shout out to Gary, wherever you are. Um, and Gary and his team fell in love with Ken. And they're like, let's do something completely crazy and different rather than just come up with some silly mascot. Let's go ahead and do a documentary, like do a, like a long form that's absurdly long to see if we can get people to actually watch it. Florida Man, seven minutes. And the idea actually came from Sean. He's like, why don't we appropriate this negative symbol of Florida around, you know, Florida Man and do a documentary to, to discover who is the real Florida Man. And so the script we came as we look at a naked man's butt, the script that we came back with was this was this idea that Florida Man is, is kind of hapless, but sort of lovable, who always find himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the big reveal is that Kin has been there. And this is meant to be sort of an ode to the state that we love, which is Florida, that, you know, if you want to live in paradise, it comes with its price. Right. And so that's the that's the film. But the, the underlying thought here. So let me tell you the strategy is that one, it's not a ton of money to make. And it gets people talking about Ken. But also Florida is in a perpetual insurance crisis as we speak. If you're in Florida right now and you want to buy a home, it could take you days or weeks to even get a quote. It's not like you could just go online when you go online and enter your information. You're not getting getting a quote. You're you're submitting to a lead gen that's going to go ahead and resell it to any number of the carriers. So you have a situation where insurance is in crisis. You can't get a quote instantly. Kin is pretty much the place, the only place you can go to get that instantly. And so the opportunity here is to just build some brand awareness. So when somebody encounters that friction point, maybe not today, maybe it's six months from now, they say, oh, let me check Kin. Or a neighbor's like, hey, have you checked Kin? It's like, it's so easy, it's seamless, it's quick. So that's the opportunity, um, while at the same time, making sure that you remain disciplined, that your spend is directed towards generally towards uh, conversion. So we love the ad. It's really just the beginning. It gets 
you know, gets kind of kin and moving in the direction more about building brand. Florida Man's going to be doing a lot of crazy other things as we build them out. But I encourage everybody to go to YouTube, check out the uh, kin video on Florida Man. I think it's pretty hilarious. And Gary's got some other tricks up his sleeve. <laughs> and this is this is go ahead, that's... Sean. Yeah, I want to hear more from you. Right? Yeah. It sounds like you you helped bring this idea, you know, to be. So walk us through Florida Man and you know your opinions on how this is going to help with brand awareness. Yeah. So Lucas and I, it was years ago. Lucas and I were actually like going to. I know we were going to hang out we were in the parking lot of a Target, and we were, we were just thinking about ideas. And this one, this one came to us. We didn't really know how to execute it, right? Because like we're that's not our background. We're not we're performance marketers. We're technologists. We're really good at financial services, but but you know, doing a executing a, a movie like this is not something that we would have been able to do. So it was really cool to have you know Gary and his crew uh, put it together better than we could have imagined, honestly. Um, and insurance is inherently local, and that's very important in our approach. In every state, there are different laws about insurance. You're exposed to different hazards. The customer buying preferences are, are different. And so it really doesn't make a lot of sense, especially because some of these states are very, very large. Like Florida is well over a $10 billion market for homeowners insurance itself. Um, you don't need to blast your way into a lot of these states. And in fact, it can actually be pretty, pretty distracting um, and, and risky to go into a state that you don't totally understand. And that's true of marketing as well, right? So like now we've been in Florida for a while. It's a market we do really well. Our customers are beginning to recognize us. And when we create content, we're going to do it in a way that speaks to, to, to the locals, because that's, that's a big part of what Ken is. Um, and, and, and I expect that in the future, when we do campaigns like this in the other States that we're entering and the other States that we're in, they'll also be, you know, along the same vein where, you know, they speak to something that's special about that locality. Uh, cause people, people should be proud of where they live and, um, you know, Florida gets a lot of flack, but it's, it's actually an amazing state. You know, it's one of the fastest growing economies. It's incredibly diverse. It's, uh, it's a dynamic and, and exciting and cool state. And also the weather is really nice most of the year. So it's, it's, it's just a good place to live. All right. So definitely, you know, being as a Florida man myself, hmm. I could say you hit it right on the nail there. Uh, I definitely grew up on Florida. I probably know this guy. Uh, so uh, <laughs> you know how that goes. Uh, those Why did you have to drop guys. the hot dog on the guy at the beach? You know? <laughs> Oh, you know, so it, you awkward, know. man. Like, uh, at least put some mustard on there, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. Definitely, guys, if you didn't check out that video and you just want to have some fun, check out Florida Guy. I would definitely tell you guys. And if you want to, you could just literally just search right there Florida Guy, Kid Insurance on the Google, you'll get it pulled up. All right, let's go ahead. Let's get into another question, Chris. I know you got a couple more, and then I got one more. Yeah, you know, so we've got you guys back on here. We had you on, you know, when the SPAC deal was announced. Um, I, I wanted to talk, you know, some updates going forward. So when the SPAC merger was announced, Ken announced plans to acquire an inactive insurance carrier that has licenses in 40 states. Um, national expansion planned for Ken. Uh, you know, Sean, uh, I'll start with you here. Um, how is Kin progressing with, you know, moving from state to state here and looking forward? 
Yeah, so that that acquisition is still in progress. When you buy another insurance company, it's like when you do anything in the insurance industry, it has to pass through the regulators. And so we're working through that process right now of closing on that transaction with uh, with the regulator of, of that company, which is Arizona. Um, <clears throat> we expect it to close soon. And, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, in about $20 billion, right? Like our TAM right now in the three states that we're in, which are Florida, Louisiana, and California, is about $20 billion. Um, we anticipate being in about $50 billion TAM next year, which is about half of the total market. It's a little bit less than half of the total market. And so we're really not like focused on this vanity land grab of, you know, we need, we absolutely need to be in, in hundred percent of the states because some of these states are small. Uh, you know, some of the states are very competitive and it's not a good business decision to invest there right now. And, um, you know, we just want to make sure that everything, like everything like can, we're all about being really deliberate, really systematic, uh, really efficient in our growth. And so that when we when we add these states, right, it's it's not going to be all once. It's going to be a few big states that we think have really, really good opportunities and we'll get national eventually. Um, but that's really not our focus. You know, our focus is on building an amazing business with great unit economics where our customers are super happy. And to be honest, you could probably do that. Just, like if you look at what we're sort of projecting for our growth trajectory, you could do that in a couple of states. You don't need to even be, you don't even need a fifty billion dollar TAM, right? Like there, our TAM right now is is huge, which is twenty billion. So, you know, it's 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 proceeding exactly the way that we that we like to operate it can, which is you know, careful and deliberate. Excellent. So one of the things that I'm going to pull up here, and I really like this slide because I feel it really represents uh, what Kin is trying to do here. Um, and so it's all about that superior integrated experience where you're not going towards the third party, but first party. Can you explain me more about this, Sean? Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about this a little bit before. It's the handoffs. It's where the inefficiency is in the old industry, um, the handoffs and the technology. And so, you know, we're, we're very high tech, obviously. And then we're also completely vertically integrated. So that includes customer acquisition, you know, underwriting, designing the insurance products, running it through our systems, right? We don't buy software from third parties. We, we make everything ourselves. It does exactly what to do. It's very efficient. Um, then marketing, customer service. And, and so we, we think there's a big benefit because sometimes the things that you'll learn in one area uh, really help you innovate in another. So an example of this is customer service. People don't like to talk about customer service. It's boring. It's lame. No, it's not. These are your customers. Like we, we actually record and transcribe every customer call and we can mine that data to understand where the customers are getting stuck. So for example, it might be that part of our insurance product is confusing to customers. Maybe there's a variable, an underwriting variable that we're asking for that is hard to generate in an automated way and the customers are confused by it. You know what we'll do then? We'll actually remove that from the insurance product and replace it with something else that's easier, that provides the same sort of underwriting benefit. That's really not something that you can do if you're a legacy insurance company because you're not talking to your customers. These agents, these third-party companies are talking to your customers. You don't really understand them. Um, so you'll see that all, all throughout the value chain, uh, and, and it's really important and it's really cool actually, because if you, well, we don't really have, we don't really have an office anymore. We do, but no one goes there because of COVID. Um, but, but the level of collaboration that you have between the software people and the insurance people, like there's only like a tiny, tiny difference between an actuary and a software engineer, right? These are the same people. They're like, 
super brilliant, really in tune with the details, obsessed with their craft, like, like, you know, some of the smartest people you can imagine. And at this point, you know, a lot of our software guys know a ton about insurance. And a lot yeah. of the actuaries and pricing guys, they actually know a lot about how the software works. And that's that's amazing, right? It's this huge, huge benefit there, I have to say, Sean. I think it's what we do here at Benzinga well also. Um, we have our developers really close with our traders and, and, and people that talk financial media. And so essentially our developers that are creating the features that you guys use are exactly the ones that are also learning from our, our education that we give and our events that we put on. And I think that's definitely the way to do it because now you have that hand-in-hand -hand relationship and you can also get feedback to your developers, which is the biggest and most important thing, that big word feedback. So I love how you guys are attacking it at Ken. I think Chris has one more and then we'll, we'll let you guys go. Yeah, you know, before we wrap, uh, Matt, I'll, I'll turn to you. You know, we got this deal announcement, and it was said that the Kin Insurance merger would close in the fourth quarter. I don't know how much of an update you can give us, but where is Kin, you know, in the merger process, and are we still on track for a fourth quarter close? Yeah, that's still the target. I mean, as you you both know, it's complicated executing a merger and going through the, the, the process, but we're deep into it, and we're still on track for – the fourth quarter, if that changes, we'll obviously put out an update. Uh, but we're just head down do, doing the work. Hey, well, uh, I'll definitely, we'll, we all will be watching and looking for the news as we've been looking at that and talking about how that can affect the stock. Really looking forward to seeing the ticker changeover. No offense to my man, Matt, but I would love to see the ticker change on over here to Ken and looking forward towards it. No, we can't. We can't wait. Are you kidding? I want to thank everybody, too, with the great questions. Born to be free. Thanks for coming for the popcorn. Some of your good comments. You have a great audience there. <laughs> we, I've been yeah, reading we, every one of them. I yeah, see we, you. We love our chat. You. And I, I think the only other question I would ask here, you know, we got Florida man. As Ken moves, you know, to some other states and has Louisiana and California, are we going to see, you know, a Louisiana man, a California man, and someday down the road, you know, will we see a Michigan man in my backyard, you know, in an advertising campaign? We've been we've been talking about that. Like, what what further absurd thing can we do <laughs> that would be unexpected? So we'll come up with something slightly outlandish. Don't 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 you don't you fear? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe the Florida guy will invite Let me just say, the Texas, California guy. Texas one day will be really interesting. Oh, Texas guy! <laughs> Texas guy could be fun. New York guy, yeah. You got some. You got some fun states to play with. Yeah. You got Mitch out there in Colorado. You know, maybe he can help work on a Colorado guy. You know, skiing. <laughs> um, but yeah, great interview again, guys. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. So on the show today, we had Matt Higgins, the CEO of Omnichannel Acquisition Corp. Ticker OCA. And then Sean Harper, the co-founder and CEO of Kin Insurance. Kin Insurance going public with Omnichannel Acquisition, ticker OCA. And new ticker for Kin Insurance will be, is it KI? It's KI. Yeah, that's KI. right. KI. Awesome. Well, we look forward to following, you know, the progress of this deal in the company. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. There you guys have it. Another exclusive interview. Two interviews on SPAC's attack back to back, giving you guys the information you guys need to be informed 
traders out there. That's really what it's all about when we talk about the SPAC industry. We want to get you guys the information so that you guys can make your own investment decisions. I hope that you guys got to learn a little bit more about Kin and Aspiration today. Anything else you want to leave off with, Chris? No, that's it. Uh, a huge show, right? Two interviews, um, and we will see everyone soon. Stay tuned for Power Hour. I know there's a lot of people out there excited for that episode today, so I'll be uh, watching in the background here. All right, we'll keep at it. Um, we might. Uh, I'll let you guys know. I have to get to Formula One for the the rest of the week, so no Spacs attack tomorrow or Friday. Look for a, an episode. I think I'll push Chris to, to push on Monday to get you guys some information. But I hope that you guys enjoy the weekend. I'm going to go ahead and take a little vacation. But we'll be back with the SPACs attack. If you guys got a company that we still haven't touched, let us know. We'll definitely get out of it. All right. See you next time on the SPACs attack. Coming up next, the Power Hour with BBIG. What happened? Find out. Don't miss your free chance to tune into Benzinga's very own bootcamp series on November 20th. If you're looking to dive into new concepts and grow your account, this one's for you. 